Hi, and welcome to the Everyday Etiquette Podcast. My name is Sarah Bull, and I'm your host. This is the podcast where we discuss practical etiquette tips that you can apply to your modern, everyday life. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Sarah Bull Designs. And please shoot me a line. Send me a question. We have a great Facebook group. It's the Everyday Etiquette Group, where uh, I have a place for you to ask etiquette questions. I post articles that I find about etiquette, and we have some fun discussions. So please join, um, and I'd love to hear from you. Today, I'm continuing my conversation with Elizabeth Duncan. She is a renowned wedding planner and corporate event planner. She's based out of Washington, D.C., but plans events all over the world. She's extremely talented. And if you didn't listen to part one of this wedding um, episode, go back. We talk a lot about um, the big picture ideas about wedding etiquette. Um, Today, we're going to dive into more specifics. We talk about RSVPs who to include on your guest list, um, how to get people to respond, inviting to showers and parties before the wedding, who do you include. We talk about inviting children to the wedding. Um, We talk about how to treat your vendors. So we get into a lot of specifics. So I just, I hope you enjoy listening to Elizabeth as much as I love talking to her because it is just a wealth of information. So please listen along to our conversation. Go back to listen to part one if you haven't already and let me know what you think. Okay, so here we get into some really fun stuff, and that is the RSVP. Ah. <laughs> um, there, this is mine. like multifaceted. Um, the first question, how do you get people to RSVP? Well, I mean, really, you can't get people to do anything they don't want to do <laughs> at the end of the day. Um, you know, I think this comes up a lot in terms of what date do you put on the RSVP card. And so, you know, we're, we're often having to counsel clients um, who think that they should put a really early response date on because they think, they think that'll help encourage people to respond earlier. Um, and they also think that then they might be able to invite some extra people uh, if they know earlier. It just doesn't work that way. I mean, what we see time and time again is that the yeses come in early and the noes come in late. But it doesn't, it's not a hard and fast rule. Um, I had, for my wedding that I have tomorrow, I want to say about three weeks ago, so we were, we had passed the RSVP date, but not by much, and they had over 50 people they still hadn't heard from. Wow. And typically at this point, you know, when you're in the month of the wedding, we would see maybe 10% of that number would actually be yeses, and the rest are really just no's. 50% of those 50 people were yeses. Oh, so wow. here we were thinking, oh, great. We're just going to be at like 220 people. This is so lovely. And then all of a sudden, nope, just kidding. We're at 260. So there, <sighs> you know, you never know. People are unpredictable. We, we are. And um, there really is no way that you can, there's nothing you can do. There's nothing in the wording. There's nothing in the date. People are just people. Yeah. Um, I think it's just important to be prepared that you need to have enough time built in and a plan for who will be doing the outreach um, that if there are people that you haven't heard from that you really are surprised and you're expecting that they're going to come that whoever the, the appropriate person is, whether it's the bride, the groom, the parents, 
can reach out by phone and just check in um, because there's also, without fail, the post office manages to just lose into the universe three to five invitations every mailing. And it's a complete mystery where they are, (laughs) but it always happens. So it's always possible that someone didn't get it. It's always possible that it was delivered to the wrong address and it's Mm -hmm. lost in the mail's return system. And so, you know, even though I think in the past it wasn't normal to, to actually follow up with people who have an RSVP, today, because of the need to provide guest counts and order all of these things in advance for the day itself, I think you have to be prepared to do some of that follow-up work. It's typically better if it's not the bride doing it uh, or the groom. I think it's better if it can be the parents or the maid of honor or whoever, that it's not the bride saying, are you coming to my wedding or what? <laughs> you yes. know, yes. Um, but it's just, it's just human nature. And I don't know that there's really anything we can do about, about it. I think more than anything, what comes up with the RSVPs is that not all of the guests know how to properly RSVP. Yes. So there can be a lot of decoding that has to happen. Yes, <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Okay. So the next question is, you have that response card. What if somebody writes in that they're bringing more guests that weren't actually invited, whether it be children, a plus one, you know, what's the best way as the bride and groom to handle that? Sure. In general, and and I will answer that, but I, I will say that I think when things like that happen more than not, it's because they weren't addressed properly to begin with. And that's where really paying attention to proper etiquette on addressing becomes so important. Yes. Um, Because if you have an inner and an outer envelope, there is no confusion about who has been invited to this wedding. So then if someone's RSVPing, for example, to bring their children and the children were not included on the invitation, then they're, they're clearly making a decision Right. To go against, to go <laughs> right. against you. Okay. Right. Um, and I, you know, what I would say what comes up more than anything is the question of children attending rather than someone deciding to bring a date when they haven't been and mm-hmm. guested. And I think what we're seeing today is a combination of things, but more than anything, I think because so many more, at least of our clients are, you know, 27, 28 and older, you know, a lot of them do have friends or siblings that have, you know, young children, but the event of their dreams is more of an adult event and more sophisticated and um, very involved and often at beautiful venues that aren't specifically child friendly. Um, but we have that conversation in the beginning again, you know, I'm, Obviously, I'm a planner, so I really believe in being prepared. So I think we, you know, we have those conversations with our clients in the beginning when we're going through the guest list process, when we're going through the addressing process, and you know, ultimately, you know, you're either deciding to stay as as the bride and groom, you're either deciding to stay, you know, very firm on the idea of having no kids at your mm-hmm. wedding, or you're going to realize that there are some parents that can't come unless they can bring their children or just philosophically don't believe in being separated from their children. Right. And while we wish that they would then just decide to stay home, they more often 
than the not are making it the bride's problem. Yep. Which as a guest, from a guest perspective, I think is very inconsiderate. Yes, it is. Uh, I think one of the things we run into a lot is that the more brides and grooms and their families try to make things convenient and thoughtful and easy for the guests, the more you enable the guests to completely forget how to act like a grown up. Yes. So, yes. That's it's so a very true. fine line. It's a dance often. But, um, you know, it, it really is just going to depend on how firm you're going to stick to it. You know, what I'm often finding is that we need to counsel clients that if you make an exception here, you have to make an exception everywhere. Yes. Uh, that otherwise you really, if you've told all of your friends that, sorry, this is an event adult only and none of your your friends or your family members can bring kids and then one random guest you say okay fine you can right. bring them then that really causes you know some tension and I think that's kind of an overarching message uh, about etiquette and communication and respect even though so much of the planning and so much of the decisions are about this one day it is far far more important to think about your relationship with these people beyond your wedding day and think about, you know, pick your battles, think about the things that are really important because it, is it really worth risking a friendship or risking a relationship with a future mother-in-law for something about the wedding day, um, versus, you know, letting it go and having a much more positive relationship going forward. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But there's no, there's no right answer on kids yeah. or no kids, guests or no guests. Technically, etiquette-wise, yeah, they weren't invited. They shouldn't right. be brought. Right, right. But, you know, you have to decide how firm you're going to be about that. I, I usually, you know, usually the terminology that I'm coaching clients on is, you know, oh, we received your RSVP card. We're so excited that you can come. Unfortunately, you know, the venue where we're having it, you know, let's say we're having it on a yacht, you know, that's really not safe. We really are not comfortable with kids. We'd be happy, you know, our wedding planner has nannies and we already have some other guests. We're hiring nannies and we're going to have them set up back at the hotel. You know, please let us know. We certainly understand if if that's something you're not comfortable with, Um, but we really, it's not appropriate for young children to attend. Yeah. And I think that's okay for you to say as the bride. I know that Mm -hmm. um, we were limited. We were having a very formal evening wedding at a small venue. The venue was going to charge us the same dollar amount for a child's plate as it was for an adult. So Mm -hmm. we just decided not to have any children. We didn't even have a ring bearer or a flower girl. Um, Mm -hmm. And I Mm -hmm. think we only let, you know, first cousins that were children come. Mm -hmm. And um, we had to make some tough phone calls. Um, And and even though we had addressed them correctly, and by the way, we did a whole another episode on envelope addressing. So I'll put that in the show notes, but go back and listen to that. um, Because just make sure that your envelopes are addressed properly. But, um, hundred percent agree. Yeah, Listen to that, that episode if yeah. you haven't. <laughs> yes. Yes. But we had to make some tough phone calls and some people only came to the ceremony because they wanted to bring their child. And we said, you know, you can bring them to the ceremony. Um, mm-hmm. but then, you know, you need to find another accommodation for them. And, and we did offer to find babysitters for them too. Mm-hmm. And I think, again, at the end of the day, as I was saying earlier, people are people and there's not much, you know, you can't ask them to be something other than they are. Yep. Um, But you also don't have to accommodate them as the hosts and the the, um, guests of honor. So, Okay. So 
we talked a little bit ago about, you know, you said that some people want to do a really, um, they back up their RSVP date way in advance because they mm-hmm. might want to invite extra people. So I wanted to ask you about A-lists and B-lists because <laughs> I get this a lot as a calligrapher. I, I don't, I've never seen it with your clients, but I do see it occasionally where they'll send me an A-list and a B-list and they'll say, please go ahead and address the A-list, hold off on the B-list. Mm-hmm. And First of all, it drives me crazy just for my job because it's a scheduling nightmare for me because I never know when the call is going to come to do the B list. And I may have, you know, I book out like way in advance. So that's kind of a nightmare for me. Sure. But I also like have this, it makes me feel icky that there's this list of people (laughs) that they're like waiting to decide if they're going to invite after they get the numbers back. Mm -hmm. Well, I I think the reason you've never gotten it from one of my clients is because I don't allow them. (laughs) I figured. (laughs) I I think it's, again, it's kind of one of those wedding myths that gets perpetuated and it's really unfortunate. It, It really doesn't work. Um, you know, again, in the beginning, we have, you know, all of these overarching theme conversations with our clients to educate them and prepare them. And one of the ones around the guest list is, you know, if you're, if you're deciding to have a wedding and, you know, and it's being budget driven, then the decisions are going to be made based on the budget. So what, how many people can the budget afford? to have at the wedding. If you are, you know, most of our clients, we're very fortunate. Most of our clients are not making budget driven decisions, but they are often then limited by the venue that they fall in love with. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if a venue can hold 200 people, then we back out the numbers for our clients. And we say, based on the venue, based on the fact that you want to have a band, a dance party is really important to you. So we need to have a big enough dance floor. You know, you want to have interesting tables. You don't just want round tables of 10. You know, this is the number of people you can have at your wedding. And as such, based on the formula we use, this is the number of people you can invite. Mm -hmm. You don't get to invite more people than that. You get to invite this number. So then we put the list together with that in mind. And they often say, well, I know like great uncle Joe is like 95 in Michigan and he's not going to come. So doesn't that mean I can add someone else on it? No. So our, you know, the way we calculate attrition it takes into account all of those scenarios. So if if you get a no RSVP and you send another invite out, you're messing up the formula and you are going to end up with a higher guest count than you can afford or your venue can fit. It just, everyone I think thinks kind of, oh, here's an empty spot. But that only works if you get to your, so we use a 20% attrition rule for most of our clients. Yeah. The, the main exception being, for example, if we uh, did a wedding in the Washington, D.C. area and both the bride's family and the groom's family was local to the area, then we actually see that attrition rate go as low as 10%. Yeah. And so we will we'll actually do our calculations based on 10% rather than 20%. So if you got to that point where you have all 20% no's have come in, then you could theoretically think about that. But that point in time is usually about a month before the wedding. Right. And that is just rude. (laughs) I mean, people are going to know that you 
didn't really, they weren't important enough to make the A-list. And I just yes. don't think you want to send that message no. to people. No, I, I, that's, yeah. How would you feel if you got that invitation a month before the event? And it's, I, it's, yeah, it's tricky. I mean, I had a, I had a client who was also a friend. She was a friend first and she became a client. And I think it was a day or two before her wedding. It was in Washington, DC. And, um, it, her wedding was right after Hurricane Sandy and her wedding wasn't affected, but the ability of a lot of her guests to come into town from the New York area was. And so okay. she had this dramatic last minute drop Okay, and she called me up and she said, what do you think I should do? We have like 12 people who can't come that, you know, we've, we've already paid for them with the caterer and, you know, the tables and all of this. There, there was a group of friends of this larger group of friends that we're all part of that I couldn't invite because of capacity before. But now that we have, you know, these other guests that aren't coming, I'd love to include them. What do you think I should do? And I said, well, you know, it's, it's really up to you, but I think that if you're honest with them about the situation that, um, you know, I'd like to think it isn't the first time they're hearing from you that you wanted to include them, but were limited by space. Um, then, then it's up to them on whether they want to be stung that they didn't make the A list, or you know, come to the wedding and enjoy celebrating with you. Yeah. But I think that's a different special circumstance yeah. than going into the invitation process thinking A and B list. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Okay, so I have a very specific question from a listener. Um, She says, my parents and I are having a disagreement on when to send out the save the dates. The wedding is in February of 2017, and most of the family has already booked the hotel. Um, She thinks the save the date should be sent out this summer, and the parents would like to send them out right away. What do you think is proper? I'm not sure this is as much a question about proper as it is just general timing and convenience. Um, I mean, first of all, that's amazing if everyone's already booked their yeah. hotel, you know, um, you know, just about a year out. That's, that's really incredible planning on their part. Um, there isn't, in this situation, I would say there isn't a, a clear right or wrong about the timing of the save the date. I do think they might want to think just strategically around what else is going on in the time of year and when would be, you know, you want to make sure the save the date doesn't get lost in the shuffle. Yeah. Um, if they are having a wedding at a location that is remote or, you know, for example, if they're having a destination wedding out of the country, then we certainly would advise sending the save the dates out earlier so that their guests have as much time as possible to schedule that vacation time on their calendars and start looking for the most affordable airfares and, and things like that. There isn't a clear as with, you know, and this is important to throw in as with most things, in life and in wedding planning, there isn't a clear right and wrong. There isn't right. a black and white. It can only be done this way or this way. A lot of it is subjective. So I think it's just more strategically looking at the demographics of their guests and, and you know, the general outline of their event, 
what makes the most sense. For our clients, you know, if we are working with them from the beginning, we generally are, are looking at sending save the dates out kind of around that nine months mark. Yeah. Um, that would say, I would say that's what's most common for us and, and our clients, but it varies. It just, it really does. There's so many other factors to take into account. But I would also just encourage, just based on kind of the phrasing of, of the question, that this this really might be coming down to a respect and communication yeah, between the parents and, and the bride, and that there are far bigger decisions that are going to need to be made. Um, this isn't one to take a really strong stance on. Yeah, I agree with that. And maybe you need to ask your parents, um, you know, why is it important to them that the save the dates get sent out right away? Because maybe they have a particular reason. And I agree, it's probably not one of the battles to fight at this point. <laughs> let's hope it's the let's hope it's the worst one they ever encounter. I'm sure it will be. Sure. <laughs> um, okay, so who do you invite to showers and engagement parties? That's an interesting one. So that's another one where I tend to be a little bit more of a traditionalist and, you know, traditional etiquette would dictate that only people who would also be invited to the wedding yeah. be included in those, uh, we call them satellite events. And um, that has proven to be a hard one for a lot of clients to follow. Mm -hmm. um, but I think once I've walked them through kind of the philosophy and really the potential damage to their yeah. relationships yes. that could result if they are lax about this one, they tend to mostly come around uh, to, to understanding why the etiquette is, is that way and, and following it. I think, you know, related to this, one of the things that's interesting that I've noticed is, um, you know, so 15 years ago when, when a lot of my friends were getting married, you know, in their um, early and mid-20s. It, and and I went to school in the South. My mom's from the South. So I have a lot of very, very Southern friends. And um, what I noticed when all of them were getting married is is there was so much more tradition around, you know, the, the godmother or the aunt or the grandmother throwing showers. You yes. know, I, I had friends that had four different bridal showers. Yes. You know, we had a bridal shower in her hometown, bridal shower in the groom's hometown, yes. you know, a bridal shower that, you know, morphed into a bachelorette party. I mean, it was so interesting. And then, you know, they also have the wedding day brunch that's more traditional in the South as well. Yeah. That the bride and groom actually attend and take turns. Yep. Um, it's so, you know, there's so many different regionally and culturally specific traditions around this. Um, but I think one thing I'm starting to see today is that there are fewer and fewer um, of those relatives and close friends offering to host. Okay. And, you know, for a lot of our clients, you know, it really is coming down to the parents of the bride, the parents of the groom, the bride and groom themselves doing all of the hosting for, you know, things like the bridal tea or the brunch the day after. I mean, mm -hmm. Even five years ago, I would say it was still fairly typical that the grandmother or the aunts or the godmother, you know, would, would throw the farewell brunch or throw the bridal tea on the Friday. And I've just seen, I've really seen all of that 
um, fall away. And I'm not really sure what's behind that, but I think it's an interesting trend. Yeah. Yeah. I don't see as many brunches and bridal teas anymore, but I do still see a lot of showers and engagement parties. Like here, um, sometimes you're having two engagement parties, one for the bride's hometown, one for the groom's hometown, and sometimes even three for one, the town that they currently live in. And then I'm also seeing a lot of bridal showers still. And I, I agree with you. If you do not include, or I'm sorry, if you include people that are not invited to the wedding, it's only pointing out the fact that they're not invited to the wedding. Right. And I think, you know, particularly for things like the engagement party or the first shower, if you were to include someone there, they would absolutely assume yeah. they are going to be invited to the wedding. Yeah. So that, that would just be setting yourself up for an, an awkward conversation. Exactly. I mean, typically what comes up is it's things like we're, you know, we're limited. The guest list is in some way being constrained. And so already, you know, the different players involved feel like they haven't been able to include everyone they wanted to include. So you know, I'm trying to think of there's, there's this example kind of on the tip of my brain, but it's like the mother had like a book club and a flower yes. club, you know, yes. the mother was very active socially. Yes. Um, but she just, because of the restraints of the capacity of the venue, like she couldn't include every single one of her friends. Yeah. And, um, you know, she, there was a shower, there was some kind of party that was happening and she, you know, her flower ranging club, like really wanted to throw a, a party for right. the bride. And the mom was asking me, what do I do? Because I'm not, I'm not going to be able to invite them to the wedding. And, and I said, well, that's really a tricky one. So you have people who aren't on the guest list wanting to throw an event mm -hmm. for the bride. Mm -hmm. You know, from my, in my opinion, you cannot accept their offer of hosting something without then adding them to the guest I list. I agree. I agree. That's tough. It's mm -hmm. a tough one. I mean, I always like to, you know, when things like that come up, I always say, what a blessing, you know, what a blessing yes. that you have so many people that love and care about you that want to throw these events for you. Like, don't lose sight of that. Yeah. It's, a, it's a wonderful thing when people want to give you something or do something for you. Yeah. Um, and I think if it isn't, you know, it does come up that, you know, if it isn't a constraint dictated by venue, if it is more of a budget constraint, then a lot, a lot of times we'll come back and regroup on the budget. And, and I once had a father of the bride tell me that like the best advice he had been given by a friend of his was that, you know, when you're doing the guest list, not to be too stingy because of the cost, mm. because at the end of the day, when you're at the wedding, and you're, and you're at that end point, what's 10 more people? Yeah. You know, and, we, so and, true. and I mean, and, and, and money is, you know, money is an issue for a lot of people and a lot of people are working on, on budgets, but, um, you know, if, you know, for my clients, you know, they're all spending over a hundred thousand dollars. A lot of them are still on a budget, but it's just on principle more than anything else. Right. Um, which I, you know, completely support and agree with. Yes. Um, but I think when you, um, even if you look at it in the context of a, of a smaller budget, the, the exponential math, you know, the way the math works out, 100 people versus 110 people, it's a really small cost difference versus having everyone who you really care about being in the room in the room. Yeah. So yeah. sometimes it's worth it to find that extra room in the budget to include those people um, than not. Yeah. 
I like that. So let's move on to the actual day of the wedding. All right. Um, okay. This is kind of an old school thing, but I got, I had a hard time with this when I was getting married, the receiving line. Mm. Does anyone still do that? And if not, like, how do you make sure and greet every single guest? I, you know, I personally feel like that's one of those traditions that um, I would love to leave in the past. Yeah. It is not something that really functions well in the context of an event. I just don't think it's realistic for today's weddings. Yeah. I mean, for one reason, almost every church, if it's a church wedding, makes you get out of there 15 minutes after the wedding ends. They have, you know, the churches have really cracked down on the rules um, and they've become very rigid. And so it's just not practical to do a receiving line at the church anymore. And that's typically where it makes the most sense to do it. Right. Um, I have had maybe three clients over the years that were adamant about doing the receiving line and it was a disaster every single time. I mean, it just was a single file queue of guests, you know, waiting to go through this line and it, it completely held up the, the whole flow of the event. Yeah. It's just, I just don't think it's realistic. I, instead I kind of encourage doing kind of partial receiving lines in pieces throughout the event. A lot of it comes down to who ultimately is doing the hosting and the inviting, but I think making sure that, you know, instead of, you know, if the groom is someone who doesn't need to be, you know, sheltered and protected before the ceremony, having the (laughs) groom and his parents out at the front of the church saying hi as guests arrive, I think is really great. I think making sure that we're efficient as possible with pictures so that the bride's parents can be at the reception doing sort of a a very informal greeting, not a formal line, but just, you know, being near the entrance and making sure they're able to say hi to people. Um, You know, along these lines, I would say fewer and fewer guests are even visiting the tables um, because, again, that's something that really isn't practical, particularly, you know, if the bride and the groom want to eat with the rest of their guests. Yeah. Um, You know, just mathematically, it doesn't work out that you can get to every table without completely holding up the entire event. Um, So when, you know, what we talk about is that one of the benefits of doing an all-inclusive welcome party the night before Mm. is that it's an informal environment where you can really work the room and try and touch in with as many of your guests as possible. So then there's not so much pressure on the wedding day itself to Mm -hmm. touch in with everyone. Yeah. And then if they are going to visit tables, you always start with kind of the the peers of your parents and grandparents. It's really those older generations, the the business associates of your parents that get a lot of um, meaning out of the table visit and you can save visiting your friends on the dance floor. That's a really Uh, good tip. And I do feel like there's a lot of responsibility that falls on the parents in this category because mm -hmm. if the bride and groom just can't do it because you want them to enjoy themselves too. Absolutely. Um, the parents should really try to greet as many people as they can. 
And a lot of times we're, you know, when the, when the couple or the parents feel really strongly about the table visit, what we end up doing is we actually have the, the parents, the bride and groom and the parents of the groom, all, all three couples are circulating the room at the same time. Absolutely. Okay. Is there a way that you guys make a seating plan? And I'm not talking about like the logistics. I'm more talking about like who you place at what table. So you've got, do you mix it all up? Do you put, you know, some business associates with some friends of the couple? Or do you put all the business associates together at one table? Or how do you handle that? So it's really interesting that you asked this because um, I was in a new business meeting with actually a, a nonprofit client and they were asking if we did the seating, um, if we would assign guests to tables. And I don't know if everyone else out there is is offering this service, but we think our clients are the best people yeah. to decide who sits where. Yeah. So you know we are we are generally providing you know the education, the templates, the diagrams, and the guidance on what we would do and how. But the clients know their guests. Yeah. You know the bride and the groom, the parents. They know these people best, and they are the best people to decide who sits where. Yeah. Where we come in is, for example, for my wedding tomorrow, you know, there's 25 tables, big dance floor, big band. They're, they're bigger than we were expecting them to be. Um, it's a full room. So there are very clearly some tables that are less desirably placed than others. And what we're often advising our clients on are, don't put anyone that's like grumpy and looks for things to be wrong at yes. this table because <laughs> yes. they're going to be annoyed that the waiters are walking by them from the kitchen or yes. that they're right next to the bar or they're right next to the band. Yeah. Um, you know, so we, we are often pointing out kind of the potentially problematic tables where people would be more likely to complain. Um, we're pointing out the tables, you know, that we would recommend in terms of where the, you know, the head table or the, the parents, the different parents tables, if they're not sitting together, kind of how we would place things like that. Um, but they're really going through and assigning each of their guests to the tables themselves. Yeah. And I would, my advice would be to seat people where they're going to be the most comfortable. You know, the people are going to be the most comfortable with people they already know. Yes. Um, And then there are those special people in our lives that I call them floaters where they will talk to anyone and Mm -hmm. oh my gosh, what a gift they are because (laughs) that is a special talent and like so sweet. And so we kind of had like a list of these people that if we had a hole somewhere, we could kind of fill them in because we knew that they would do all right there. Absolutely. And I think almost everyone has those. I, I, I also encourage to seat people with people they know where possible. Um, I do think it is nice when you don't have a bride side of the room and a groom side of the room, that some of the tables are interspersed. Yes. Um, and I, I, I love it when my clients have the energy and the enthusiasm to think about matchmaking, not necessarily from a romantic standpoint, but from a, you know, if the bride has a cousin who lived in, Indonesia and the groom has a coworker who's moving there, putting them at the same table is so great. I mean, it's just a great way to, to be that thoughtful and your guests will appreciate that. But, you know, to be perfectly honest, the seating is often done 
around two weeks before the wedding. Right. And most brides, even though they're working with us and we are making this as easy as possible, they're kind of over having to make decisions (laughs) and they're kind of over having to be especially thoughtful. They're just ready to get married at that point. And so for the most part, and I think it's completely understandable, they tend to just get it, get it done, make it work, make sure there aren't any like major issues and then turn it over to the calligrapher to do the escort cards. (laughs) I think it must be, well, I know it is. It's one of the hardest things to do because it is a lot about logistics and you just Mm -hmm. have to make decisions and you are tired. So, but I mean, if you really are concerned about it, which I think is amazing, like if you would just take a few hours and think about who's going to be a good mix. Mm-hmm. I saw somewhere online that you should never put just all your single friends at the same table just because they're single, which I don't know. I mean, what do yeah, you think? I mean, I think if you, if everyone goes around the table and they're like, oh, I'm single, I'm single, I'm single. I think, yeah, that might get a little bit like, oh, great. So the only thing they think of us as is their single friend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'm single. And I, I can say that like, I, I thankfully have not ever been in that situation as a guest where I'm like, oh, I'm clearly at the single table. <laughs> because yeah. I mean, you know, if you're, if you're single and you're at a wedding, you're already feeling a little vulnerable most likely um you know because it's a lot of couples in a room usually at a wedding yeah and so I think whatever you can do to make them feel equal to the couple guests and and think about them and who they would enjoy meeting or talking to you know I think what more more than not what our clients struggle with with the seating is the math it's just if you have tables of 8 to 12 that you are working with and you have large circles of friends some are couples and some aren't and you're just automatically going to have to split them up yeah how do you split them up so that nobody's offended like who gets to sit with whom at this table and vice versa so it's i mean i think that's where i see more clients struggling and and you know having more conversations about what should i do um with that but you know, I always come back to the numbers are the numbers. Like you can't have a, you know, you can't have tables of 20 everywhere. It just doesn't work that way. Right. right, right. Um, I have had, you know, interestingly, more and more of our clients are doing kind of a, a a long King table, head table, parents at another bride's parents at one table with their closest family or friends and groom's parents at another table. So you really end up with these three VIP tables, Mm -hmm. which can really help, I think, make everyone feel like they're, they're close to a VIP table in the room. But what has come up a few times, um, is when you have, when you're seating the wedding party at the bride and groom's table, do you include their significant others? Yes. And I personally, I don't know if this goes with etiquette or not, but personally, I think you do. I yeah. just think that it is uncomfortable and unfair to ask, you know, a closest friend who's already like been in the wedding and supported you all of these things to then eat dinner separate from their significant other and how awkward for that significant other to be at some random table. Agreed. Um, so oftentimes we're having to really minimize then who gets to sit at those tables, especially if you have a large wedding party. Um, so a lot of weddings, it's maybe it's just the bride and groom and then the honor attendants and their significant others or the bride and groom and the siblings and the significant others, not the whole wedding party with all of them. Cause that can be 
for some weddings, 30 people at a table and that's just kind of, uh, gets a little ridiculous. Yeah. Personally, I don't like the idea of a head table like that. I like when, I think we did the families, you know, like the parents and siblings at the table with us. Mm -hmm. We really had the bridal party spread out. So Mm -hmm. they were kind of like mini hosts and hostesses too. Mm -hmm. And that's the more traditional that the bride and groom would sit with both parents and often the officiant grandparents, things like that. Okay. So last question. Okay. Uh, And I would be a traitor to my own um, industry if I didn't ask this question, but What's the best way to treat your vendors? Oh. <laughs> well, you know, I think that rule out there of treat others as you would want them to treat you is a, a really good one. And I, I think we certainly try to emphasize that um, not only with the staff that you know works at Elizabeth Duncan events every day, but also the additional staff that we often are bringing in to help support our events. Yeah. Um, you know, always... I always want us to be representing, you know, respect, kindness, professionalism. Um, one thing that I, I hear a lot and it just makes me cringe is, um, you know, people yelling at vendors, people losing mm-hmm. their patience, being disrespectful. Um, that to me is just uncalled for. Yeah. And I, th- I think that, I'm often commenting with all of the wonderful women who work with me that it's easy to lose sight because what we do for a living is so fabulous and fun and fluffy, you know, I mean, it's food and flowers and colors and dresses and it's easy to lose sight of it. But at the end of the day, our clients are hiring us to provide a service and to be professionals. Mm -hmm. And so for me, that means being organized, being respectful, um, being the one that is solution oriented there, you know, there's a, there's often no need for blame, but if there is a need for blame. It's after the fact. In the moment, we need everyone to be on the same page, working towards the common goal of creating a successful event and making our clients happy. Yeah. And I, I, I generally think that um, that's what I certainly want. I want people to treat me with respect and kindness and to be professional and be prepared. Yeah. And so it's certainly what we try to recommend as well. I think a lot of clients from a bride's perspective, you know, it's the first time for many families, if the, if it's the first wedding of the family, it's the first time they've hired vendors to do things for them. Right. And, um, it's a learning process. And so, you know, part of our job is to educate them on what to expect. And a lot of the most amazing talents, I think, like you, you know, are small businesses, you know, yeah. your entrepreneurs and your, you know, most, a lot of the ones, even like ones doing these huge, huge events are based out of the home. Yeah. And, you know, we're, we don't all have lawyers on staff. And so, you know, when we get those lawyer clients who want to make all these changes uh, to the contract, you know, I, I'm often having to explain just so you understand, you know, we don't have lawyers on retainer. So if you need to change something, you need to explain, like, how would this impact me? Why is this fair for you? And, and you know, all of that and go through that process and be patient. Yeah. Um, you know, we have a lot of lawyers in D.C. So that yes. comes up a lot. Yes, but sure. I, I really think for most things, you know, all of the t- 
topics that we talked about today, um, it really does come come down to respect and thoughtfulness and communication. Yeah, um, I think absolutely. the more the more clear you are in the beginning of what is important to you, and and the more you can focus on you know throughout the process, staying really tethered to that, then the more successful the event will be, but also the more authentic and enjoyable it will be. Yeah. And as vendors, I mean, we want nothing more than to have, for you to have the best day of your life. I mean, we want the event to be every bit that you imagine it will be. And so we're just trying our best to make that happen. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, um, but my clients are the best. I've never really had to deal with someone that was unreasonable, but I think communication on both parts, like I have to try to be as best at communicating as I can. Mm-hmm. Um, with my clients as well. And I just ask for the same in return. So absolutely. I mean, I think so much of it is just managing expectations. Yes. Again, you know, I think from a, from a vendor standpoint, we do this every day. And so it's easy to forget that for a bride, often this is the first time she's been through it. Right. And the last thing that we want to do is make our brides feel uncomfortable or incompetent or incapable of making a decision or knowing what to do. Um, I'm, I'm constantly having to remind clients that um, we would much rather you come to us with the smallest, seemingly exactly. stupid question exactly. than be out there like flailing around making something that can totally be solved exactly. into a mountain of a problem. Yes, yes, or running um, out of time. I, yeah, exactly, exactly. We are very fortunate that our industry is full of people who do what they're doing because they love it, Mm -hmm. um, but specifically love weddings Mm -hmm. and really love working with brides and and helping them achieve, you know, whatever dream it is that they have for this day. And so I think, you know, managing expectations on both sides and, you know, particularly around timing and deadlines, it will just ensure that um, everyone is is happy and satisfied with, with how things unfold. Yeah. And I will link to these huge books that I reference, like Emily Post, um, yes. Brain has a great one. Yes. Because you might, I mean, I think every bride probably buys one of those when they get married, but um, just look through that and see because every different vendor is going to have different rules about like what you tip or Mm -hmm. when you pay them and those kinds of things so just be aware like I know for calligraphy I never expect a tip like it's not in our you know thing but like I don't know do you tip the caterer like there are people that you do tip so well and that's also very that's very geographically specific too you know there are different um cultural norms in different parts of the country and around the world I think in general, um, I think the books are, you know, linking to the books. I certainly, I use the the Peggy Post Wedding Etiquette. Um, I mean, it, it has everything you need to know about etiquette-related decisions. Um, I think things like tipping, you know, my, the way I generally advise my clients is um, the vendors that we're going to recommend and the vendors that we're working with, if they expect gratuity to be part of their compensation package, it's in the contract. Yeah. It's in the contract. This is the fee for my service. And this is the gratuity that I will distribute like this. Okay. And after that, gratuity only needs to be considered if someone goes above and mm-hmm. beyond. But gratuity can take many forms. It doesn't have to be cash. Yeah. I, I you know, most 
of the vendors that I work with would much rather have a lovely thank you note that they can put up on their website and referrals for future business Mm -hmm. than than money or a gift card. Yeah. Um, I also, I think one of the biggest things that I encourage that my clients really appreciate is nowhere does it say that you need to make a decision and deal with gratuity on the day of the wedding. Yes. Exactly. $100 here to this person the day of the wedding is the same as $100 to this person two weeks after the wedding. That's a really and I'd good much point. rather you focus on enjoying the day and then look back and together we can look back and say, wow, the band played like 30 extra minutes and they're not going to charge you because they were just having so much fun with your guests. Yeah. Like, I definitely think that they would appreciate a thank you from you. And and here's an amount I would recommend. Or, you know, the captain at the caterer went above and beyond with when this like accident happened over in the corner of the room. And, you know, I really would love to see us, you know, thank him in a certain way. It makes so much more sense to me to think about showing your appreciation to vendors, um, after the event, when you have the benefit of the experience itself, yeah. uh, then before the event or the day of the event, having to keep track of that. That's really good advice. Well, tell everybody where we can find you online. <laughs> sure. We're at ElizabethDuncanEvents.com. On Instagram and Twitter, it's eDuncanEvents. And we, we definitely love working with you, Sarah. Can't Thank say enough. Thank you. I things. love working with you guys. <laughs> and I uh, would be happy to field any additional questions that yeah. might come in um, via email and things like that. Awesome. Uh, email is events at ElizabethDuncanEvents.com. And, you know, I think it's just wonderful what you're doing. It's, oh, a, it's so fun to give brides another resource for how to educate themselves and think about things like this so that they can have a great experience and their guests can have a wonderful experience as well. That's what it's all about. Well, thank you so much for spending so much time with me today. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. Thanks so much for joining us today. Please go to Elizabeth's website and find out how you can contact her on social media because she has beautiful pictures. You're not going to want to miss it. It's elizabethduncanevents.com. And that'll take you to all of her social media sites. So please go follow her. Elizabeth, thank you so much for coming on the show, giving us a wealth of knowledge. Again, please join our Facebook group. Please leave a review and rating on iTunes for us so our podcast can grow. But most importantly, join us next time. Thank you so much.